0: Hello and welcome back to Shoulder to Shoulder. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. And we are so happy that you're joining us today and um, we're going to be talking about current events. Yes, welcome to the new year. This is our first recording in 2021. It's not the first recording that you have heard, hopefully, in 2021, but we record a little bit uh, clustered, Mm -hmm. and so the last time we were in the studio recording was uh, right at the end of December, and now we are full into January, and um, we did a show a few times back that was about what if 2021 is no better than 2020, and guess what? (laughs) Even though this is only the
1: 21st as we are recording on the 21st of January. Um It's still, you know, it's still not looking as good as we uh, would like it to.
0: Yeah. So we are the day after the inauguration and, um, you know, lots of people thought that maybe something would get turned around, maybe, uh, you know, the courts would listen to the evidence uh, that seemed to show that there was some foul play Yes, uh, on election night. Uh, but that didn't interfer- happen.
1: Foreign interference,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. And uh, we did inaugurate... Uh, Joe Biden as the president and Kamala Harris as the vice president. And Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot to talk about as it relates to having a new administration, uh, an administration that carries with it not only uh, the executive branch, but now the Democrats also have control of the Senate and the House. And it's a... it's a new landscape for sure in, in the political life of America. So you learned a
1: lot about our government and the way it works and who these so-called leaders really are.
0: Yeah, so I think we wanted to talk a little bit about that, just kind of where we are as a nation, um, what you know we might be looking at going forward, and then also move after that into talking a little bit about how the church functions within that and um, yes. because I really think Pam, it's really, really important not to just sit back and wait for things to happen to you, right? You know, to really think about what may be coming down the line so that you're not surprised necessarily and you're not um, just caught unaware of some of the things that could be difficult to deal with Mm -hmm. so that you can really prepare your heart and mind to respond to things in the holiest way possible.
1: Right. Our focus always being on Christ. He is the focal point. He is, you know, when things get tough, He asks us to look at Him, rely on Him, have faith in Him, have trust in Him, which I want to set that tone for um, the lens which we're looking at current events is really abandonment to divine providence. What is God asking for this in the current
0: moment? Always to have hope and faith in Him. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, I will be honest because I'm not going to come onto this program and, you know, make it out like I was just totally engaged in watching the inauguration and really know everything that happened yesterday and what Biden said in his speech, because honestly, Pam, I couldn't watch it. I didn't turn on the TV at all. I have no yeah. idea what he said. Right. And, you know, I think it's important to admit that you weren't alone. Yeah. I mean, cause some people, you know, would think, you know, it's a responsibility to be aware and and to be, and that is true to a, to an extent. It is, you know, and I'll and I'll come back around and probably, you know, look at you know maybe what he tried to say. I'm I know, you know, I've already read some things that said that he called for things like unity, which you know is common That's sort of after elections. A the point, yeah, which yeah. generally tend to do. But the reality is our words are words and actions are actions. Yes. And we've already have seen him make 17 actions wow. in his first day, his first few hours as president. Um, so I wanted to maybe just look, look at that because while I didn't kind of allow myself the frustration of looking at the very... Um, what I would say contrived experience of the actual inauguration. I did read what executive orders he signed 17 executive orders in the first hours of his presidency, which is really pretty unprecedented in on average, the last, you know, four presidents or so I saw signed like two on their first day, 17. Wow. So, I mean, one could say, well, he's just really hitting the ground running. But when the reality is, is that of those 17, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of those overturned things that his his predecessor did, it doesn't speak to me of unity when your main focus on your first few hours of presidency is to say, forget you to the things that the administration before you worked towards. Right. So let's kind of take a look at some of the things that um, he signed. And obviously, we won't go over all of them. We don't want to spend the whole show parsing those things. Um, I do know that, you know, coronavirus obviously is still a huge thing, still very much in people's minds. So let's take a look at the, let's see, three executive orders that he signed regarding uh, coronavirus. Uh, One of them was a reversal of Trump's um, decision to begin withdrawing from the World Health Organization. So he wants to get all back in to the World Health Organization and has even um, assigned Anthony Fauci as the head delegate uh, to the WHO, um, which I think is very interesting.
1: Yes. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Because, well, some could say, well, oh, look at that. You know, yeah. Tr- Fauci was very involved in the Trump administration. So now look how, you know, unifying that is that he's continuing to uh, have him involved. But we know the reality there. that Right. And many <sighs> believe that the WHO
1: is just another cog in the big um, global government, globalist um, agenda.
0: Yeah. So that is a little concerning. And, you know, honestly, though, I have... Uh, It's interesting to me how the Democrats will often, you know, tout things like the WHO, but when they don't agree with what they want to do, they'll throw it out. Because one of the lead doctors in the WHO basically said, "Um, lockdowns don't work and y'all need to stop. And neither do masks. Yeah. And guess what? (laughs) Yeah. One of the coronavirus uh, things is regarding masks, executive order that masks will now be required at all federal buildings, federal lands, and by government contractors, urging state governments to do the same. And even though he hasn't like made it a federal mandate, he's launching a 100 days masking challenge to America. How do you think people are going to respond to that?
1: I don't know. I mean, what does it mean, to a 100-day masking challenge, that like we're all supposed to wear our masks for 100 days in honor of the new president?
0: I don't, I don't think he's. I don't think he's framing it as an, in honor of him. I think he's basically saying, let's be obedient to masks, wearing masks for 100 days. And you're like, I'm pretty much thinking that people are going to ignore it. Uh, I'm with you there because there's a lot of
1: statistics now that this has been going on for some time. I've seen these charts and graphs in different areas about um, how the, the virus reacted to the global or the like area mandates of masks, which it actually had absolutely no effect according to many of the statistics I've seen.
0: Yeah, well, science only matters when it uh, agrees with what you want, apparently, (laughs) in this day and age, which is very, very frustrating to me as a person who was trained in medicine and was always taught, look at the studies, Don't, don't listen to any of the anecdotal, this that or the other as your determination about what you do. You do properly designed studies, you look at the results, and then you make your decisions based on those studies. And that's not being done now. And it's really, really frustrating. Um, so the final uh, executive order was also to create a position of COVID-19 response coordinator that, resp- that uh, reports directly to President Biden and will manage efforts to produce and distribute vaccines and medical equipment. So, um, yeah, that's a very uh, centralizing mm. uh, act of... Uh, power, which, um, you know.
1: Take it for what it's worth.
0: Take it for what it's worth. Um, so that's where we're going as far as uh, coronavirus. And I have no doubt that uh, we'll see more action as far as the federal government goes regarding coronavirus. I know there's a lot of uh, we just got in Houston uh, a, a notification that the the new strain which is potentially more infectious, has uh, reached our city. Mm. So uh, I fully expect um, this concept of new strains and, you know, whatever to continue to cause this uh, issue to be a very long-term situation. I mean, like, The thing that I think about regarding the vaccine is so many people are thinking, I think they're thinking about this vaccine more the way we think about vaccines for like measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, those kind of vaccines where you get, you know, the course of them and then you're done pretty much. You might get a booster like 10 years later or something like that, but that's not the way vaccines for this type of disease usually work. Usually it's more like the flu vaccine where you're guessing the strain each year, you're having to get a new one, all this sort of thing. And how often have we had the experience in the past of being like, yeah, they guessed wrong on that flu vaccine. And pretty much it's not really work getting the job done. Right. So when you've got that possibility going forward where they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, the vaccine didn't really work here. So we're all the way back to this business. Um, How long can it go on, really? How long can it go on before people just really can't take it anymore? That's a good question. And the the economy really can't take it anymore. For sure. Um, So, you know, that's uh, something that's concerning. Yeah. So I want to go
1: back with just a little bit because I have like questions just for you as a medical doctor and the vaccine um, and COVID in general. I heard recently on the Drew Mariani show, an infectious disease doctor was saying that typically um, when you say if you have a natural immunity, Mm -hmm. um, you've been exposed to it, you've had it. Sure. And they're saying now that that immunity um, just goes away within five to six months.
0: I think it it depends on the individual. It also depends on what type of um, virus that you're talking about. And
1: then I've actually also heard that, from this on this radio show, this particular infectious disease doctor saying that, um, that when you look at infectious diseases, that that doesn't line up because once you have been exposed, you start to develop certain antibodies. Now, those antibodies may not be recognized in a test, but mm-hmm. they say they're kind of lower and dormant. So, for you and just your general knowledge, if someone's been exposed has received, I mean, has already had um, COVID, do they have some dormant immunity in them?
0: Well, there's some immunity, but again, let's take the example of flu. How many people do you know get the flu like every year or every two or three years, right? Like they just get it, you know? And so this reality that these, these viruses, we should think of them more as classes of viruses than as one specific sure. virus, right? Because okay. what happens is, is that when you get the um, the viruses are uh, beautiful examples of evolution. Really, I mean, they change, they mutate um, because they replicate so quickly. You know, their 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 genetic material can change up really quickly, because every time you have a a replication, there's an opportunity for um, genetic mistakes and things like that, which can cause mutations, which then um, can sometimes be great for us because the mutation can make the virus no longer viable. But then sometimes they're bad for us because they can change it such that our body doesn't recognize it the same way anymore. Um, So you're going to have some probably uh, immunity towards the generalized uh, type uh, but it's not necessarily going to be to the level that it would prevent you from getting sick. Right. Okay. Um, and it it does over time diminish for sure, even to the point of really not being relevant anymore. Um, and again, that's it depends on what virus you're dealing with. And these particular types of virus like SARS um, co- coronavirus ones tend to be ones that change more or are more likely to um Alter in such a way that you won't have persistent immunity over years, but you know months. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're likely to have some immunity, but again, if they're saying all right, there's a new strain and it appears to be different, such that it's more infectious. If you had the first strain, are you are you um, immune to this strain? M- maybe. Maybe not, sure. maybe mm-hmm. somewhat so that you you could still get it, but it might be your symptoms might be lesser because your immune system was able to gear up more quickly and to deal with it um, more efficiently. And then again, um, there's so much variability um, between people yes. mm-hmm. as far as their immunity goes and immune response. Like some people have just a really let's just call it a lazy immune system. Like they don't mount responses very vigorously. And mm-hmm. you, you know, even with probably in your family, with the number of children you have, you have at least one kid who's the sick one, right? The one who just tends to get the stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, That's like everybody. Mm -hmm. And so there's always going to be people who, even if they had it, maybe are just the type that their immune system doesn't function as efficiently as others, and they're going to be more susceptible to reinfection. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just so many variables. So many. Okay. Uh Okay. Um, So let's talk a little bit, just go through a couple more things regarding what Biden was up to in the first day. Um, He made a lot of decisions regarding immigration, which uh, allowing more, uh, less restrictions, actually less restrictions on entry to the U.S. for passport holders from seven Muslim countries, uh, undoing expansion of immigration enforcement within the United States. So not going to be as strict about what's going on in immigration within our borders and of course halting the the construction of the wall because walls don't work unless they happen to be at the capitol exactly. on inauguration day but you know let's not go there let's not let's no, not even no, go there we'll, we'll skip over that um, one a couple more things uh environment obviously has been a big topic um mm-hmm. he has made an executive order that we will rejoin the paris climate accord the paris uh-huh. and that'll happen over the next 30 days Cancels Keystone XL Pipeline and directs agencies to review and reverse more than 100 trip- Trump actions on the government. When you said that about the pipeline, I just heard this flushing of, of thousands
1: of jobs. I just heard this flushing of thousands it's of jobs. It's not
0: just jobs as it relates to building the pipeline. Mm. It's also the impact that it has on the price of oil and gas. Right. We are in this beautiful time of being pretty much energy independent. Mm-hmm. I remember before Trump, when like Obama came in um, and he was talking about becoming energy independent, and I remember saying to my husband, it seems like I hear that every time we have a new president, we're going to become energy independent. We're going to become every time, like since I remember paying attention to uh, presidential politics, this was like on the agenda and never got done. Right. Guess what? It got done. And why did it get done? Because Trump put into place policies that made it possible for us to increase our production. Biden has turned those over. He's overturned those. And Mm -hmm. so to think that that's not going to impact the price of oil and gas, I think, is very naive, if you believe that. And the fact is, is that oil and gas impacts every aspect of life in America. It does. Because it's about what individuals are putting out for their own personal transportation. It's very big deal as far as businesses and their, their transportation costs, because as it relates to transportation in the United States in a very large country, we've got a lot of costs as it relates to getting things to places that they need to go, whether it's through planes or um, through uh, trucking and all this sort of thing. So it really does impact things in a major way. Um, So, you know, we're going to, Be dealing with the impact of that. Right,
1: right. And, you know, I think it warrants saying right here, too, that, you know, we're all in this together. Um, I think we need to always kind of remember walking shoulder to shoulder with one another as we try to navigate these waters of uh, this new, uh, let's say, political landscape that we have going on. And helping each other always stay focused on on Christ and his good providence, even though we're called to do things, too, as well. So, Megan, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on how we process this from our Catholic Christian perspective, too.
0: Right. And I do think that, like I said earlier, you know, we're talking about these things, um, really less to complain about them, although, you know, I will say that it's troublesome to me, you know, less to complain about them and more to say, all right, these are some potential issues that are coming forward. Forward. We're going to continue to struggle with coronavirus. It's not going to go away just because there's a vaccine. We're going to potentially have um, significant impacts on the economy because of policies that are being put into place such that people may even more job loss, even more um, trouble making ends meet because, you know, things become more expensive and, and all that. So as we look forward to those possibilities, then we can say, all right, how do I function most appropriately as a Christian in that setting. And that may be keeping an eye on my neighbor, understanding that they may be struggling more going forward. And how can I be a blessing to them? How can I um, show my love and support for them? And then also in my own life, if there are going to be anxieties or troubles that are going to have to be dealt with, how can I kind of build up my reliance on the Lord and keep a proper perspective about what's important in life as we go forward into a period of time, which may be difficult, like to be perfectly honest, as much as Joe Biden, you know, touts his Catholic faith, a lot of his policies are very contrary Contrary, to the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. And Kamala Harris has shown very clearly that she is not, pro-Catholic, like in, if you, I'm not going to get all, get all into it, but if you look back into her, her time, um, prior to being vice president, you know, there've been some very clear things that have shown that her respect for the Catholic faith is minimal at best. And so that being the case, um, you know, it's interesting. I, on Facebook, uh, somebody that I, I am a Facebook friend with who is very far on the liberal side um, she had a picture of Kamala Harris and said, you know, the future is brighter for our children was, was the, the tagline underneath and immediately came to my, to my mind that, well, unless your children happen to be Catholic like mine, in which case the future in her hands isn't nearly as promising as she seems to think it is. Well, and I thought you were going to say um, if they get to live.
1: If the children actually get to live.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So, Considering the abortion mm, issue.
1: Right. Yes, Absolutely. Exactly.
0: I think it's probably a good segue to kind of get off just what the government is up to and then move to the church and, and what we're up to as a church. Times. Right. Because, times. you know, politics and religion, they're often, you know, talked about as well, don't talk about politics and religion at a dinner party, right? But clearly they're together, right? They're tied because there's always this tension of how does my faith engage in my political life or my public life? And I think you and I, Pam, are just 100% that says your faith should infuse every part of your life. Every part. There's no separation of church and state in my life. In my life, my life as a citizen is informed and guided by my moral spiritual formation as a Catholic Christian. Right. So the church will have to respond to how, you know, the world is functioning in a political way. So let's take a look at what the church is up to. Why don't you, Pam, give me some of your perspective on that
1: oh my goodness well i tell you what i one of the things that I, I was listening the other day um to a priest speaking about being obedient to um the holy father mm-hmm. okay. and i was very confused about that that really sowed some confusion because i'm like well he said some things that I, like, don't particularly agree with. Like, mm-hmm. in particular, the changing of the catechism on the death penalty. Okay. I thought it was pretty solid what the catechism had in it previously. That um, And just for clarity's sake, the catechism says that the death penalty is only permissible when the death of one person can save the lives of thousands of people. So as we see it in the United States today, yes, it's inherently flawed. I don't think the government should be killing people in general because I feel very Catholic on that. Mm -hmm, I mean, I am very pro-life, but there will be exceptions and they're very rare and few, you know, for someone like Hitler or, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, was responsible for the lives of literally thousands of people. So that was confusing to me. I I get more confused as time goes on. Um, Like you're going to talk about some of these things here in a second about yeah, the activity of um, women in the certain roles on the altar and things like that i uh I don't know i i I'm just more confused than I've ever been and and sad so I, I tend to just um try and not think about it I try and just go to mass and enjoy Jesus in the Eucharist and and uh leave that to smarter people than me
0: <laughs> well you know it's <sighs> It's nice to want to do that, but again, we're called to be salt and light uh, and to a dark age. And if we can't speak to what our church is up to um, in a way that's well-informed and well-examined, uh, we can miss opportunities to, I think, evangelize because ultimately, even if we recognize that there's some real, real issues in the church today, right, there's right. some there's some things that are really concerning, some major fault lines that uh, are seem to be in danger of quaking. <laughs> um, the truth of the matter is, no matter how. Um, What's the word I want to use? No matter how disorganized, how uh, even with corruption, chaotic, chaotic and... even with corruption, you know, in some areas of the church, the church that Christ established, the holy Catholic church is the one true church. Yes. Amen. And no matter what she looks like right now, she's still Jesus stripped of his garments, which means she may look bloodied, she may look bruised, she may look covered in spit, she may look hideous, but at her core, she is holiness. Mm. She is holy and she is the ordinary means of salvation in the world. And so we should still desire to draw people to the Catholic faith, even though that may be harder and harder For sure, as the Catholic Church looks less and less like what she's called to be, so we need to understand what she truly is, so that when things are happening that are not in keeping with her true nature, we can call that out for what it is. You know, I think you remember when we were um, did our uh, podcast about marriage. And we talked about obedience in marriage, about how women are called to submit to their husbands as the head of the family, the way Christ is the head of the church. And so we talked about how you submit to the authority of the spouse when he is acting in God's will for the good of the family, right? Okay, yeah, following you. But when it becomes clear that a spouse is acting outside of God's will, is even acting sinfully. We are not only called, not called to submit to sinfulness, we are called to admonish as the primary relationship in the life of our spouse to draw them into holiness and draw them towards uh, heaven, right? So, and I even drew a parallel about how the husband in the family is very much like the Pope in the church. And so I'll employ that right now when we see Pope Francis as the head of the church, maybe saying things outside of magisterial authority, not in ex cathedra statements that are binding and given the infallibility through the Holy Spirit of his office, we are called to say, no, that actually isn't what the church has taught, teaches through magisterial teachings throughout the ages. And, you know, we're not called to submit to that. So we are obedient to his actions that are in keeping with God's will and in keeping with the magisterial teachings of the church through time memorial, but not in modern like sort of changes that seem to contradict that. And if there's confusion and you just say, I don't understand how this can jive, how these can both be together. Well, we're de- we should demand that we have explanations, you know? And if explanations aren't given, well, we stick with what we know to be true through the magisterial teaching of the church throughout the ages.
1: Right. Now, let's let's just talk a second about magisterial teachings of the church, because that is Pretty much the same as the catechism, is it not? Isn't like that all part of it? It's part
0: of it. Um, the 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 catechism is a collection, right, of what has been taught in in various documents and various you know statements, and and some of it is definite, like absolutely, this is what the church teaches, and there's no discussion, right? Boom as it relates to, say, for example, anything in the Nicene Creed. That's that's the, something that I think is one thing you can really just hold fast to. Anything we say in the Nicene Creed, when we proclaim it every Sunday and every holy do- day of obligation, as a Catholic, you cannot go against one of those things that's defined in that creed and still be Catholic. Those things are You gotta, Mm -hmm. there are things in the catechism that are less clearly defined. And so you do have to kind of dig down a little bit sometimes when you're reading the catechism. All right, what is this coming from? Is this a clearly defined dogma or doctrine of the church? Or is this the sort of general consensus over time, but it hasn't been clearly laid down Or sometimes it's even more nebulous where it's like, this is an area where there is room for discussion, room for difference of opinion. Um, So, and there's all of those in the catechism and you have to kind of read it and understand where, where it's coming from. But let's talk about just some of the things that Pope Francis has said recently in this, just in this new year so that we can kind of parse out some of those things. Okay, let's do it. Um, So we already talked about, uh, vaccines. Um, so let's get into some recent things that he said about the vaccine. He did an um, interview, uh, with a Italian news program that has been getting a fair bit of play. Uh, and this interview is, you know, in, in January he did, he did the interview on January 10th. I'm not sure what day it actually aired, but he did the interview on the 10th of January. And this is the statement that's uh, kind of being, um, promulgated from that interview. Pope Francis says, I quote, I believe that morally everyone must take the vaccine. It is the moral choice because it is about your life, but also the lives of others. I do not understand why some say that this could be a dangerous vaccine. If the doctors are presenting this to you as a thing that will go well and doesn't have any special dangers, why not take it? Okay. So that is an opinion.
1: It is an opinion,
0: right? It is not a magisterial teaching. It is not an ex cathedra statement. It is his opinion that the most moral the moral choice is to take it. Now, but you see what he predicates this on the idea that a doctor has presented to him that there are no risks and it doesn't have special dangers. So he is functioning out of that mindset that understanding of the vaccine well the truth of the matter is and i am going to quote these these statistics come from a very thorough piece um from a writer mark mallet i don't know if you're familiar with him yes. he does a um, a website called the now word and he he really digs into some of this stuff so he I read um, uh, a post that he wrote on the Now Word uh, about the vaccine, whether or not to take it. And he he states, and he gives sources. So I'm not going to tell you the sources, but they are on there. So if you want to go onto his website, Mark Mallet, the Now Word, um, you could find it. 50 people in the United States already have died from taking the vaccine. Over 3,000 people have had side effects that are significant enough to require medical attention. Um, and there's a number of medical professionals who are refusing to take the vaccines because of the risks. These are people who are learned, who are, have made the decision that they do not feel the risk of taking the vaccine warrants, um, the benefit that they would receive from it. So clearly the idea that there are no significant dangers to potentially taking this vaccine is questionable. Mm-hmm. And so for Pope Francis to be functioning out of the mindset that there aren't special dangers, why not take it? Well, okay. There's a lot more to consider there. Now I would actually say for him, put, let's just put aside the, the, the abortion side of things. And, Cause clearly the church has come out and said in grave situations to take a vaccine that's th- that's this distant from an abortion, Is licit You can debate that, but the church, you know, has given their opinion that it is. That's that's my sticking point. All right, but let's put that aside because that 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 gets very complicated. Let's just talk about the safety side of things. For Pope Francis, say the abortion thing wasn't in it at all. I actually think he probably should get the vaccine from a safety standpoint because he has one lung, he's old. And the risk of COVID to him is probably significant enough that the vaccine risks of side effects are less of an issue than the chance of him getting COVID. I'll say that right now. But for me and my family, who, if we got COVID, would probably have, you know, an uncomfortable few days and be over it. And that would be the end of the story. I'm sorry, but when 50 people have died or more at this point, I'm not willing to put my kid's life on the line for a disease that has such a low mortality rate. Right. I like to, you
1: know, people ask me this a lot too, about like, what are my thoughts on vaccinations in general? Because I'm not 100% an anti-vaxxer in general. I mean, to me, I want to use my critical thinking skill to see how deadly is the disease how efficacious is the vaccine? Is it worth the risk? Right? right, absolutely. So that's what I've done. And some of them, I'm like, this one, this one, I, I actually have because I work in healthcare. I've actually been able to say, no, thank you, mm-hmm. I do not want to take right. this vaccine. Good. Um, but then there's other things like my daughter will need to get a, a meningitis shot before she goes off oh, to college, sure. yeah. and I'm like, yes, that's a good one because that's mm-hmm. such a
0: serious and deadly one. Serious, deadly disease. And a vaccine that's proven to be very safe. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, when Pope Francis says it is the moral choice to take the vaccine, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but the moral choice for me is to do what I deem best for my family, for me and my family. Like the primary responsibility that God has put in my life for the health and safety of human beings, the primary responsibility
1: is to my
0: family, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And for my family, as a physician, I have decided, uh, so I'm well informed about these things. I have decided that for my family, the safest choice, the healthiest choice is to not get this vaccine. And so this idea that, Using our human reason, using our intellect and our will to serve God and in the capacity that he, in, his, in the immediacy He's has given us, to serve first those who he has placed in our care, that's my moral responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. And so I want to make clear what we've already
1: said, which was so accurate. This was Pope Francis' opinion. And it is right. outside of a magisterial teaching and um, faith and so forth. Right. So that's why we have to just, listeners, make sure that you understand this is one person's opinion. Yes, he is a leader in the Catholic Church, but it is not The leader. I mean, he is the, the leader. He is the <laughs> and, head of the Catholic but Church. But his opinion is not from his point of being— the authority of right. being Absolutely. The head of the church. So yeah. I really want to make that clear right. because that's what can cause confusion. People say, well, you know, he's a person of good moral character. He's a leader of the Catholic church. We should listen to him. Mm-hmm. Well, on matters of faith, yes. On matters of science, maybe
0: not. Right Now, when I say we should listen to him in the sense of we should hear what he says, and then, you know, we are still called to employ our reason and employ our our understanding of what God's speaking to us as it relates to things that we still have the freedom of choice on. This is not a binding teaching or statement. So we're still called as individuals to seek God and to ask him, well, what are you calling me to? Um, Because otherwise we're just falling into the, into a behavior that people accuse Catholics of, which is, oh, well, the Pope is your leader and you just do whatever he says. No, that's never, ever been the case about what it means to be a Catholic. And when we do that, when we just blindly follow in areas that we're not necessarily um, compelled to follow as Catholics by our faith, we're doing exactly what we hate it when people claim that we right, do. Right. Right. Well, this is critical thinking
1: and forming your conscience. Very important parts of being Absolutely. Catholic today.
0: For sure. Now, let's take it to the next level, because, you know, the vaccine statement thing, that's clearly you don't need to follow that. Like for, you know, as a just a hard and fast, it's an opinion. It's stated in a in a venue that's not at all like in his authority as pope. Like I just as an interview on a you know secular news program. But when you get to the next level. OK, so now let's talk about the motu proprio that he um has given us tell our listeners explain what that is let me explain what that is so motu proprio is uh the latin term for on his own impulse (laughs) so it describes an official (laughs) uh, an official act taken without a formal request from another party so basically he decided he wanted to do this and so he submitted um this letter which basically the act is he made an official act where he changed the code of canon law Canon 230 section one of the code of Canon law previously read that lay men of suitable age. And with this gifts determined by the decree of the Episcopal conference may be permanently assigned by means of the established liturgical right to the ministries of lectors and acolytes. That's what it used to say. It now says lay persons of suitable age And with the gifts determined dot, dot, dot. So this is a more official statement. Okay. It's not like an ex cathedra statement where we, you know, in the sense of Mm -hmm. it's infallible. It's a change in canon law. But the reality is, is that Pope Francis does have authority to change canon law as his, in his position as Pope. This is his purview. It, it, it is his right and authority to do so. So, it is okay breathe yes so I'm breathing um but so many people hear this and be like oh what's the big deal you know we've been doing this in novus ordo parishes or 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 if you want to just say the usual kind of parishes is maybe the the, you know the easier way to understand that all the time and I'm sitting here as a person who not only is a lector but is also an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, which is a very specific role with, within kind of the acolyte service. Like I don't serve ever at the at mass or on the altar, but I have been given um, the blessing to take communion to the sick and homebound when, you know, priests and deacons are unavailable to do so. Um, and so I even started this ministry at my parish to Wonderful. have, yeah. you know, So visitation for the sick and the homebound and to bring communion because I think it's hugely important. And at this stage of the game, you know, we do not have the clergy members to be able to do that. The reason it's called an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion is because it's not the ordinary minister of Holy Communion, which should be a priest or deacon. So people will be like, okay, well, people have been doing this like. All the time. There's been altar girls for a long time. There's been female lectors for a long time. What's the big deal? He's just basically changing the canon in order to, you know, reflect practice. Okay. That sounds reasonable. Okay. Here's the big deal. It has always up to this point been the fact that to have female lectors and female acolytes, or we can call them altar servers, which is the more, you know, common term these days right has been an exception for kind of necessity but it it really we know that it's not necessity we could have men doing lecturing all the time or whatever but it was always like kind of a temporary sort of thing which wasn't fully instituted as a right of women as a role in the church it was kind of an understood as it's an exception that we're allowing, but we're not instituting. Right. So what I'm hearing there too, is that then gives
1: the pastor his own preference in his church. So he gets to choose how he wants to run his parish. So
0: if a pastor or a bishop for his diocese decides we don't need this, this is not necessary. I would like to stick with what is actually been, you know, the case for the history of the church to maintain that only let's say altar servers the only people on the altar are men, then they have the capacity and right to do that. But now that the change has been made to institute, not just that women have the full permission to do this in any case, but that it's a permanent position has really upped the ante and I think is going to cause some big issues going forward regarding traditional parishes that do like the, the Latin mass because in that right, they do not allow women to be lectors or um, altar servers, acolytes. And in my own parish, which is part of the ordinariate, the personal ordinariate, the chair of St. Peter, we also do not have female altar servers. We do allow female lectors, but not altar servers. Um, so my concern is that with this statement and this change in canon law, if a woman comes to that parish and says, Well, this is canon law that I'm allowed to do this. So you should be so I should be able to have a spot on that altar, not only temporarily, but as a permanent position, it has the potential to cause more division between what people like to call, you know, more progressive and more traditional things but it didn't have to be like, right. Why way at too this much division time
1: among us already?
0: Yeah. Especially when there's just so many issues regarding gender and this, that or the other. And like, I just question, you know, why, why, why are we moving this way? And I I am concerned. I'm concerned about how it's going to impact things going forward It has been very clearly shown that to have an all-male altar server um, atmosphere at um, a parish, that it actually promotes vocations to the priesthood. And that is very important to me. And it's very important for the church's future to have vocations. And the more boys feel pushed out of those positions, the more women assert themselves to be on the altar, the less and less attractive I think it's going to be to men to go into the priesthood. And Agreed. and I also feel like women's dignity doesn't require that we do the work of men.
1: Right. We need to start to really really uh, looking through the different lens about that. Uh, I hope we do yeah. a show in the future about two true feminism.
0: I think we should. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We've been planning on doing yeah, that. We, I mean, have. we have a couple of guests that we really want to join us for those discussions that we haven't been able to, um, you know, schedule yet. So I think we're kind of waiting until it's, totally a ripe time for that discussion, but we will do it. So, you know, we are running up, you know, probably a little long now. So let's kind of wrap it up, but I think positive,
1: let's listen in on a really positive high note. The
0: positive note here is that there's lots of opportunities for discussions. I think that's the positive. If we can have those discussions in a way that are meaningful, that are filled with love and charity, filled with a desire to share the truth of the Catholic faith, Um, and to really, I think what I want to exhort people as we leave from this podcast is it's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel like things are going to heck in a handbasket, but take those things to prayer and remember the truth of the matter, which is we are loved by God He has given us the means of salvation through the sacraments of the church. We are called to love our mother. We're called to love our mother, the church. We're called to be loved by God through his church and to not lose sight that there is work being done that is necessary. And sometimes like surgery, when you cut something open, what you see inside is ugly and needs to be cleaned out and, you know is going to be painful for a while, yes. but that doesn't mean that great healing isn't coming, that great um, change in our ability to be witnesses mm-hmm. that through a purification,
1: purification was exactly what is I was coming. Saying, yeah.
0: So be part of the purification mm-hmm. and be part of the holiness that it's going to take to be a witness in a world that needs it so much. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good place to end because our Absolutely. next podcast is going to be about How can we be profound, joyful, hopeful, effective witnesses in difficult times? Absolutely.
1: Well, we thank you so much for joining Megan and I today as we walk shoulder to shoulder. Until next time. God bless.